Welcome back to Bunkaheads, Land Grant Holy Land's college basketball podcast, where we are extra careful to know how old the opposing team's players are, especially when your opponent is the number one team in the nation. My name is Connor Lamans, and thank you for joining us for episode 17, the Duke edition. I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Justin Golba, who is feeling a little under the weather, but is going to try to tough it out, and uh, he's going to try to be brave today and get through it. Yeah, I've been told me and Michael Jordan have a lot of similar qualities, and we're going to work through this flu game right here to talk to you about this Duke game, because uh, it was a doozy. Doozy? Doozy. It was a doozy. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, no need to really beat around the bush, I guess, or, or bury the lead. We all know what we're here for. The biggest news in college basketball right now is what happened last night at the shot. The Buckeyes pull off a massive upset, overcoming a 13-point halftime deficit to beat the Duke Blue Devils at home, who are ranked number one in the country heading into this game. They beat Gonzaga a few days ago, who was number one, who Gonzaga had rolled all over UCLA, who's a very good team. So this is a very good Duke team. And oddly enough, Justin, um, the Buckeyes played far from a complete game last night. Yeah. Um, 11 for 22 from the free throw line is obviously the stat that stands out to everybody. But the thing I will mention is at the end of the game, they made the free throws when it counted. So I'll give them credit for that. Um, They did out-rebound Duke 40 to 36. So that was pretty impressive. And they they held Duke to only nine offensive rebounds which is something obviously they've been very much struggling with. And they only had 12 turnovers. A lot of people were kind of pointing at the turnovers as an issue in the first half, um, but they really cleaned that up. They really made sure – look, Duke, that is what they do. They get you to turn the ball over. They're physical. They made, they made Gonzaga turned the ball over 18 times against them. Kentucky did it 15. They're a very, very physical team, and they will make you turn the ball over. So for them to only have 12 and – you know, to really take care of the ball late, especially. I can't think of any late game late uh late game turnovers that really, really affected them. Um well I can think of a couple of the Duke had. Duke only turned the ball over seven times, but uh they had a couple costly ones, including the you know, the Paula Benchero offensive foul on Cedric Russell that, you know, kind of really started to feel like, okay, they could win this game if they take advantage of this. And um, you know, we, we knew I know Coach K mentioned it at the at the press conference. Duke does not play a, a big roster. They play about six, seven guys. Uh, they play their starting five. And then Theo John and Joey Baker come off the bench. That's about it. Um, and Theo John was in foul trouble all night. Joey Baker is just he hasn't been that great for Duke all, all his he's whole just career. Not very good. Yeah, I mean he just he just has not lived up to the potential uh, that they thought he had coming in. So you know what we talked about Ohio State. They're not the most talented team in the country, but they're one of the deepest. And we saw that, obviously, it was Cedric Russell, a guy who's played six minutes a game, coming off the bench, playing 16 minutes, and arguably being their best player, specifically in the second half. Um, you know, that that depth, we, I think this was the first game we really saw that depth really wear a team out and really kind of – Ohio State looked like the better team for a lot of the game, but particularly the last five minutes. Yeah, Ohio State, you know, they had eight guys who played at least 15 minutes last night. Yeah. Um, obviously your, your starters and then Mishi Johnson, Cedric Russell and Kyle Young, they all played over 15 minutes as well. Um, 
And that was with, you know, I talk about the depth. That was with three guys who, when they come back, they will play 15 to 20 minutes a game being out. It's Seth Towns, Justice Sewing, and Eugene Brown. So the depth wasn't even as deep as it's going to be come, come late season. Yeah, I mean, you're right, because Justice Sewing, as long as he's healthy, I mean, we know what Holtman likes to do sometimes with guys that are injured is, you know, let me kind of ease them back into it coming off the bench. So maybe Justice Sewing will, like, come off the bench or something like that. But likely he's going to be a starter. Yeah, he'll do the Likely he's going to be a yeah, so likely he'll be a starter at some point. He'll play more than 15, 20 minutes a game. Seth Towns and Eugene Brown, who knows? They'll probably be, you know, they could be closer to like 10-ish minutes with all these guys back if they all come back. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Duke had seven guys play, but the two that didn't really matter that much, I guess Theo John did play pretty significant minutes, but Joey Baker played 20, Theo John played 15, so they had those seven guys. Now their eighth guy would be AJ Griffin played two minutes. Um, and he had to come in late because Theo John fouled out. But you're right. I mean, the Buckeyes had some depth there. Cedric Russell has a huge game just out of nowhere. 12 points on three of three, three of four shooting. Three of them were, um, no, I'm sorry. It was, yeah, three of four, three of three from uh, the three point line. Um, couldn't be somebody that Duke had spent too much time scouting. Um, no, there's no way. Somebody, somebody asked. It was Wendell Moore was the uh, player that was available at the press conference, and Coach K obviously. And they asked them that. Um, what did you know about Cedric Russell going into this game? Did you overlook him in particular? Um, and all he could say was, "Well, we know he could shoot the basketball." Yeah. He didn't have much more to say. Which I don't know if if he's fibbing or not. I kind of call bullshit. I I do not believe that they could have spent that much time preparing for a guy who averages less than five minutes a game and less than one point per game. Yeah, no. There's if you say what we know about him is that he can shoot the ball, it means that you know that he played at Louisiana last year and that he can shoot the ball. That's that's all. Because especially with Ohio State, he hasn't even when he has played, he hasn't shot the ball great. So that just means that you know of you know of the name, but you have no idea what he's done this year because he hasn't done anything this year. So that was just kind of like a nice little, I guess, secret weapon Ohio State had on the bench that I guess everybody except for you, Connor, uh, did not know they were going to utilize today. In other news, I'm going to go spend all of my savings on scratch off cards right down the street. I just I was just thinking about it yesterday, and. You know this, and if you listened last week, you know this. I was very pessimistic about this game. I went on the Duke podcast, and they pretty much were asking me, like, hey, what's the what's the recipe for Ohio State to beat Duke? And I was just like, I just I don't think there is one. I don't think it's possible because there's pretty much a, much a mismatch at every single position. And, and looking back, reflecting on this game, I, I still don't know. I really don't know how the heck they won this game. Duke I'm still drawing a blank on sure. it. I don't I mean, know how they won this game. Um, but I was just thinking about it, and I was like, some some really weird stuff's going to have to happen for Ohio State tonight. Like, somebody is going to st- need to step up who previously has not done so. Something weird's going to have to happen, kind of like the Justin Arns-Iowa game a few years ago when he went for, like, 28 points out of nowhere. And all I could think about was Cedric Russell is probably going to be the player with the toughest time scoring because he's a little bit smaller, and he likes to shoot from outside. Duke's at length. And I was like, the weirdest thing possible that could happen tonight is if all of a sudden Cedric Russell has his first good game as a Buckeye. That would be the weirdest thing, but they need something like that to happen. 
And I mean, that's what happened. And the funny part about it is um, he didn't come in the game until I think there's like seven minutes left before halftime because Jamari Wheeler had that just absolutely ugly turnover where it like popped out of his hands and it went to Keels and then Keels passed him more. And then Jamari Wheeler just chases down more and just slaps him in the hands. So he turned the ball over and then fouled him, which makes no sense because just you know just let if he's gonna run out for a layup in an open floor just let him run it out and then get it under the basket and take it out don't foul them and pick up an extra foul anyways so so that's when cedric russell came in had that not happened who knows when cedric russell would have come in the game but right when jamari wheeler did that i looked over at the bench and knew holtman was going to be pissed and he looked down the bench and pointed at russell who was still in like his shooting shirt his warm-ups he's like just get in there go get him so if that wouldn't happen, who knows when Cedric Russell would have actually come in the game. Yeah, and, and I kind of figured you'd play a little – once I heard Eugene Brown was out because I knew Jimmy Soto's wouldn't play too much. He's just not physical enough to play with this Duke team. Russell's small, but he's physical. He can get up in you on defense. He can make things happen in the lane. If he tries to, normally he just shoots the ball. But he can get into the lane and make things happen. So I kind of figured you'd play a little more. And also, this just seemed like every game they've been trying to get him a little more involved. Um you know, I wasn't sure. And Michi didn't look that comfortable the entire game. So I knew somebody was going to have to step up, whether it was Cedric Russell or um, or Soto's. But I kind of figured it would be Soto's. So, you know, and then he just had a great second half. And, I mean, the guys, Zed Key and EJ Liddell should get a lot of the credit because they kept him in the game. If Zed Key doesn't have the game he has, this game's a 15-point blowout. EJ Liddell, I mean, 14-14, six assists, three blocks. He was just absolutely he, – he showed that he was a superstar. Um, and there was times where they were just take trying to take him completely out of the game and make somebody else make some shots, and that's why Liddell had six assists. You know, he didn't force it. He was only five for ten from the field. He wasn't like six for 25 or something crazy. Did he have six assists? Oh, my God. I didn't yeah. even realize that. Yeah, he had six assists because he catched the ball and they would just kind of trap him, for lack of a better word, and he'd find a Russell, Jamari Wheeler – you know, Kyle Young, somebody, and, and a lot of times it was they were playing high low, and, and EJ Liddell would catch the ball at the top of the key and, and get the ball to said key down low. And so a lot of a lot of his assists came from that. But um, and then Zed was just you know I, it's funny when people keep saying Ohio State needs a real center when Zed Key is playing like he played last night. He's a center. He's absolutely. I mean, he went up against Mark Williams, who's one of the better centers in the country. And he outplayed him, um, and so. It, He's a center in that regard. He doesn't play that physical all the time, but I think this is that game that's going to get him that confidence. If he can go, and they're going to need that because obviously, you know, in the Big Ten, he's going to go up against the John Harris. You know, we're going to see that on Sunday. The Trace Jackson Davises, the Kofi Coburns, the Zach Edes, who are eight foot nine. So they're going to need him to play like that. But I mean, Mark Williams is just as good as, well, not just as good as any of those guys, but he's good. Um, and Zed Key just, I mean, absolutely took it at him last night it was very fun to watch yeah that's another you know i did not expect that to happen either um you know mark williams everybody he's every bit of seven feet tall and zed oh, he's yeah. like six six seven six eight he's a big thick dude but like mark williams is more of like the tall lanky big wingspan kind of center who can block a lot of shots and what's funny about zed key is like the his moves he has like he has like two moves he has a right-handed hook and he has a left-handed hook. And then he has, I guess, the straight-up dunk if you leave him wide open. But it's like 
it it can't be too hard to scout him as to like, all right, he's going this way or he's going this way. He's probably not going to go straight up. He's going to go back to the basket and he's going to do a hook shot. And it was just hilarious. Like how Mark Williams is just mystified. Like he didn't know when Zed key was going to shot fake. He didn't know when he wasn't going to shot fake. And that's another thing with big guys in the paint is a lot of them don't shot fake repeatedly, you know, under the basket. They just try to go up strong with it. And he was completely confused. Like, he wasn't sure when he was going to shot fake, when he wasn't going to shot take a you know do a do a pump fake there, and he was just scoring with his right, scoring with his left. But it was the same hook over and over and over and over. And they asked Coach K at the press conference, like, did you you know was was Zed Key a problem? Was he maybe under scouted a little bit? Was too much time spent on Liddell? And he said, no, you know, don't know. We 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 know exactly what kind of player Zed Key is. We knew what to expect, and we just still couldn't stop it uh it sounds kind of like a football game that i watched on saturday <laughs> that's gotta be a great thing to hear though if you said key is like you know um they knew exactly what you were gonna do and you were just like all right let me do it anyway uh, and now of course we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the foul trouble um zed key did get a couple of those buckets late game when theo john was out and mark williams had four fouls and he couldn't really do much because he, he was probably gonna foul him but um, a lot of the Theo John fouls were just bad decisions on his part. Um, but, you know, the thing about Zed Key, what makes him so good in the paint is his positioning. He's very good at, as uh, all the announcers love to mention, he sticks his ass in there and gets going. And he's very good at just getting in position to where he can catch the ball and just do one of those hooks. And he doesn't have to put the ball on the floor. He doesn't have to. He's also very good at running the floor, which is another way he gets some of his buckets. He's very good at running the floor. He could be more, I think, forceful sometimes down low with when it comes like sometimes he tries a little hook or a little layup and he could probably dunk the ball. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's getting – he's he's becoming his his own player. And, um, and I, we've said this since he got to Ohio State. I think we found kind of a diamond in the rough in Zed Key because if you don't know about Zed's high school team, um, the name, he played with Andre Corbello in high school and he got a lot of the attention recruiting wise. And there's another college basketball player they played with whose name is escaping me for some reason, but there was three D one college basketball players on that floor at any given time. So I think sometimes maybe Zed just went a little bit under recruited under the radar when Corbello got some of that attention. And I think Ohio state found a fantastic. Yeah, Holtman's player. hit on a few of these three stars. He was a, Zed was a three star. Just like Junior was. Yeah. Three star is still very good, but when you're looking at a team and you're like, who is their 20 point scorer, you don't see as many three stars that pan out to be big scorers like that. And Zed Key probably isn't going to be a 20 point scorer, but you know, he's only a sophomore, so he's gonna continue to get better. Um and Mark Williams was a I don't know, was this you who mentioned this that the entire Duke starting five was higher higher ranked recruiting wise coming into the coming into college than Ohio State's top-ranked guy, which was Liddell? Somebody mentioned that. It was I don't not, know if it was you. It was not, it was not me. Maybe it was Billis. <laughs> it might have it been was Billis. not me. It sounds like a Billis stat. Um, I will give credit to somebody. But somebody said that, and I you know, I, def- I definitely believe it, obviously, Duke. Not, Mark, not yeah, uh, Mark Williams, he was a, a five-star, correct? Oh, he was yeah, the number 28 player in his class. And he was the lowest-ranked player on the floor for Duke because obviously, you know, Benchero, Keels, those guys were all top five stars. Wendell Moore. Yeah, and I mean, those guys were going to mean Liddell was 38th, I believe, in his class. Which, Paolo, again, not bad. Paolo, Paolo played pretty well. 
They didn't play well enough. They, I'll, being, I'll e- that. they being EJ Odell and Kyle Young did a pretty good job of really getting in, really getting into him when he would try to drive to the basket. He settled for a lot of jumpers, and he's a good enough jump shooter to extend a defense to make like a Kyle Young or an EJ Odell defend him deep. He's not a great jump shooter though. So he was settling for a lot of jumpers, including the one that would have tied it to a tie the game at the end that did not go. That's not him. You, you don't want most of his shots to be way out there. So they did a good job forcing him out there and saying like, listen, man, this is the shot you're going to get tonight. If you hit it, you're going to hit it. If not, this is exactly why I want you to take these shots. He finished four of 14 from the floor, 14 points, five rebounds, one assist, three turnovers, and a steal, a plus minus of minus five. Um, the only two players actually on Duke's team that had a positive plus minus were Trevor Keel, Trevor Keels and Theo John. So they did a pretty good job at you know holding uh, Paolo, Paolo Bancaro down to um, 14 points, which again, I did not expect that. When I was writing the game articles for this, it's I kind of said, you know, he's going to get his 25 points. You just have to make that a given. Um, and that did not happen. Well, and I'm not a mathematician, but figure this out for me. Trevor Keels had a plus minus of positive five, and he played 37 minutes. So it seems like Ohio State took advantage of the Duke when Trevor Keels was not on the floor. It'd be interesting to the see the very small part that Trevor Kells is on the floor. They outscored right. him. It'd be interesting to see yeah. at the end there where where he subbed out towards the end. Yeah. At what point did he sub out at the end there? Because he didn't shoot the ball well. I don't think he was. No, no he was three of twelve from the when, floor. That's putrid. And that's why um, I gave Jer- J- Jamari Wheeler a lot of credit. Wheeler didn't have his best game, and we knew this was a nightmare matchup for them, for him, especially with Keels, because Keels is six inches taller and he's and he's sixty pounds heavier. I mean, it's a night, but. Jamar Wheeler was getting up in him. He was making him work for it. He was frustrating him a couple times, and he was making him settle for some jump shots. Wheeler did not step down from that challenge on defense. Um, offensively, like I said, he didn't have the best game, but his plus-minus was plus 13. It was the best of anybody in the game. So he, I think he played a lot better than – he had a couple bad turnovers, and I think that kind of stood out in people's minds. But he played a pretty good game overall, especially on def- especially on defense, and that's that's what they need from him. Offensively, yeah, he struggled. You know, five turnovers is really not his. That's, that's not, him. not him. He started the season. I think it was with like it was like a hundred and twenty eight minutes straight of gameplay before turning the ball over, which is the equivalent of like three and a half games straight. You know, without taking a break, basically without turnover, which is absurd. Um, well, like he's not going to have another. Sorry, I was, I was just going to say, coming into the game, he had a assist-to-turnover ratio of 5.9, which now it's it's down a little bit now, obviously, but that's a, that's an insane. Especially because they played some good defenses at Seton Hall, Xavier, Florida. Like They haven't played Missouri Valley State University College. You know, they've played some good teams, so that's an insane assist-to-turnover ratio. And it's, just, and it's just another thing that happened in this game that, like, if you put a blindfold on me and you told me, all right, Connor, just going into this Duke game, let me tell you that EJ Liddell is only going to score 14 points. Cedric Russell is going to play almost 20 minutes. The Buckeyes are going to barely get to 50% from the free throw line, and they're going to turn the ball over nine times in the first half. I would have been like, man, that stinks. Duke probably wins by 35. Oh, yeah, and Jamari Wheeler has five turnovers in this game after having like four in the first six games. I would tell you that stinks like Ohio State must have gotten blown out. Like 
all of these things that went wrong and they somehow still beat the number one team in the country is just it's just like head it's just mind-boggling because they're gonna ohio state's gonna play better basketball than this oh, as the season goes on no, they're gonna play a few yeah. more they're gonna play games that are far more complete where they look much better and and I'd said this during the game. You can't convince me that Justice Suing and Eugene Brown wouldn't have played a, and even Seth Towns wouldn't have played a huge role in this game with their physicality, the way they play defense, and the way they can get up again, kind of get up in you and and make make things happen in the lane. They they would have made a difference. There's no doubt about it. So to do that to beat Duke without them, the thing that the play that really threw me off and I think was very evident of their of Duke's youth, I guess you'd say was the final one because when EJ Liddell hit that little step back jumper, which was unreal, by the way, um, when he had that little step back jumper to make it a three point game, there was 16 seconds left on the clock. If you're Benchero or Moore or Kells, I don't know who brought the ball up. I think Kiels did. And then he gave it to Paula. Um, but just drive, just get a little easy layup. They're going to give it to you because they're not going to, they're not going to risk a three point play because Ohio state had given up about seven up until that point. So they, they've hopefully learned their lesson. So they're just going to give you a little layup. And they're 11 for 22 from the free throw line. The chances they make both free throws, probably pretty slim. You have enough time to go up there, get a layup, foul real quick. Coach K had a timeout. At least I think, I, unless I was looking at it wrong, he had a timeout. He didn't use it. And that's becoming a more common trend in college basketball when you have a last. Because they don't want the defense to get set. So I understand that. But, I mean, that was just the fact that they just settled for that jump shot. And also, there was as good as he was offensively. Cedric Russell took a ginormous charge when the game, when it was a two point game, after he knocked down the the three, and he also had two of the biggest rebounds in the game. He had the rebound, um, I think it was Benchero when he missed when it was a two point, yeah. when it was a one point game. After Cedric Russell made his free, he split free throws, then Benchero had kind of a little jumper like Liddell had missed it. Russell went flying into the air and got the rebound over top of a guy like Keels or Moore who are just bigger and a little more athletic. And then on the other end, when Bachero had the three to tie the game, it was an easier rebound, but he still went up and got the rebound. So he was doing just a little bit of everything. But yeah, that play was, that last play was, if I'm Coach K, I'm just pulling my hair out at, at that jump shot. Yeah, I was, I was surprised how calm he was in the press conference and also during the game. Um, I do think that Ohio State got a friendly whistle on a few fouls. I don't think it was anything egregious like, Oh, you know, the fix, you know, the fix is in the, the ref is in Ohio. The ref is an Ohio state fan, blah, blah, blah. That kind of thing that we've heard, you know, just a few days ago. Um, well, my favorite thing in the world anything- is like guys, the people that say all that stuff, like if there was any, if they were fixing this game to go any way, it'd be Duke's way. They don't correct. It wasn't if, up to that know, kind of do for They want them to say right, right. team in the country. What does they're the, right, big, they're the biggest, the biggest market exactly <laughs> like, duke is the most sense. marketable college basketball team there is and Coach if the NCAA, well yeah 100%. if the ncaa wanted to really make money off of this they would yeah they would try to push the duke undefeated run as long as they can do you think of how much the ncaa would love an undefeated duke team going into oh. the tournament so oh my god that's just that's just yeah the that's ncaa just, is just like they're just wanking off to the thought of it but um, I thought they got a few friendly whistles. I thought there was an offensive foul on, on Paulo Bencaro that was, I think it was Kyle Young. He bumped into Kyle Young with like, just like with his butt and they called an offensive foul on that play. And I was like, Oh boy. Like there was a few whistles that I was like, okay, that one went, that one went Ohio state's way. Um, 
But then I guess there was another one that I couldn't quite see the offensive foul on him that when he bumped into Russell that I guess maybe could have been called a flagrant but wasn't. Um, I thought it was so a flagrant just because he leaned. He just he leaned. He got him with an elbow. And normally, like I said before we started, when you go above, when you kind of bring the ball up and above, because Cedric Russell was up into him. He was trying to draw an offensive foul for personal space. Um, and when you go up up above him, normally they won't call it. That'll be a defensive foul. But if you lean and kind of get a little more horizontal with it, that's when they'll catch you with a flagrant. So Bill has kind of mentioned that two years ago, he probably would have been thrown out of the game, but they've been very more lenient with it. So that's probably a good thing because it was definitely not any, anything egregious. But it was just something that I think could it could have been a huge moment in the game because it ended up being just Cedric Russell splitting free throws. But if it's a flagrant, one, that would have had Bachero out of the game. And two, um, that would have been a free throw on the ball. So, yeah, I'm just not a huge. Throw thirty seconds left in the game. Yeah, I'm just not a huge. Oh, you know, the refs, the refs stole the game, or the refs changed the outcome of the game. Because I don't know. The way I always look at it is like if if there's one big pivotal call that was missed towards the end, which in this case there was not. In this game, there was not like one big pivotal, you know, missed call that you're like up that changed it. But if there was, you have to look back at like okay, well, what other mistakes did your team make that put them in a situation where like one call like that could change the whole outcome? You know, what other mistakes were made? For example, if Ohio State would have lost this game by one or two on a missed call, then you're like, okay, well, what if they wouldn't have missed 11 free throws? So Duke fans are are crying about the refs. Some Duke fans, I wouldn't say all, you know, the vocal ones, the vocal ones are going to usually be the ones that are the most annoying online. But there are some Duke fans that are are upset about the... uh, officiating but the Buckeyes Ohio State feels like they were jobbed against Florida and against Seton Hall so you know it it, it happens refereeing's never going to be consistent but nobody has the fix in um no I've never been an Aisha Curry person so you know it's, like it was rigged I just saw it yeah um I can't anything else on the Duke game I think we've pulled it apart up down and sideways every possible way you could look at it it's almost been a half an hour yeah I tell you what man it, when this game hit 66 to 61, uh, first of all, Ohio State closed the game on a 14 to 1 run. So I want all this stuff that Ohio State can't close a game to really, y'all got to chill with that because you're just wrong at this point. Um, also, they're like 3 to 1 this year in games that have come down to three, uh, three points or something. But anyway, um, or two possessions. But um, uh, when it got to 66 61, I just kind of told myself, this is either going to become a game that propels them throughout the rest of the season and whatever they do and however good they do, they're going to look back at this game and go, man, that was huge. Or this is going to be a backbreaking loss if they can't, if they can't figure this out and can't, can't actually finish this game. So I'm just very glad that, that, that they got it done. It, it just, it just changes everything too. It just changes everything. For their tournament resume too. Yeah. Oh my God, that's huge. Like, I don't think this is going to be a team that is going to be like on the bubble I don't think it's going to be a team that you have to question if, if they're going to be in the tournament, but like that's huge on your resume because Duke's going to Duke might win the ACC. They probably will win the ACC. The ACC looks like it's going to suck. Um, going to suck. So if Ohio State's like bordering between like a say a four and a five seed, and then you slap on a a victory over a Duke team that's probably going to be a at worst a two or a three seed, like that's that's massive. That's like your that's like your your safety blanket to almost make sure you're in the tournament. Well, and the thing is, like Duke is a legitimate. Don't let this game fool you. Duke's a legitimate national title contender. 
So it's it's pretty it's pretty nice just for the psyche because Ohio State has struggled in basically every game they played so far, even though they've won a couple. Um, and they even struggled in this one, but they won. You know, they got the job done. We'll see how they do against Kentucky. Uh, and obviously they have a couple of tough ones before that, which we can transition into. But uh, this was a big win. Yeah, every every logical analysis, every way that you looked at it, it didn't it didn't matter. Every way that you looked at this game, Duke had a huge advantage in every way possible. And then even after the game, like sitting back and thinking about it, you're like, how in the world did they just? How in the world did they just steal that win? How did that happen? Because Duke, I mean, you look at their line. I mean, they got potentially the number one overall pick. Trevor Keels will probably be a first rounder. Wendell Moore will probably be a first rounder. If not, he'll still be drafted at some point, um, first or second round. I mean, you've got three NBA draft picks right there in the starting five. And Ohio State has possibly none. It, you know, everything was against them. All the logic said Duke should have this one easy, and somehow they pulled it out. That's what good teams do. And then they play another blue team this weekend. Noticeably uh, less talented, but they <laughs> have had trouble with them in the past. They are going on the road to face the Penn State Nittany Lions on Sunday night. Yeah, um, I mean, Penn State's a Penn State's Penn State. I don't think at this point they could probably be 0-26, and you can't overlook them, which for Ohio State, uh, they're 4-2 on the season. Um, they play Miami, I believe. Oh, well, this will be tomorrow, so uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. They play them tonight, um, which will be an interesting game because Miami's kind of like Penn State. You know, they're not a horrible well, – they're, they're not a good team. Um, so we'll see if, you know, kind of what – it's always fun with the AC Big Ten Challenge to kind of see how these – and the Big Ten's doing a lot better than I think most people thought they would be. Um, you know, so we'll see if Penn State keep that going. They The big one that stands out for Penn State so far this year are their losses. They lost to LSU in overtime, which isn't a terrible loss. LSU's lost a lot, though. They're not the best team. They're not what they kind of were over the past four or five years. But they lost to UMass by 25. Um and that's just yeah. bad. I mean, that's horrible. They And the best player for UMass was a Penn State transfer, Trent Butrick. Uh, who just lit them up. So that's like just piling on punishment there. So, I mean, a second game of the season, you can chalk it up to new coach, kind of, you know, we talked about this when we were previewing teams. Uh, Penn State's weird because all of them entered the transfer portal for the most part, but guys like Miles Dredd. But then a handful came back. Um, Seth Lundy and John Harris. Yeah, yeah, those guys came back. Seth Lundy, uh, John Harris, and Miles Dredd. Three came back. They lost Isaiah Brockington to Iowa State who's been hooping this year. So that was a big loss. Uh, Trent Butler went to UMass and they did lose. They lost a good amount, but um, John Harris is kind of the one that stands out here because he's weird. He doesn't average. Yeah. He, he averages about 10 and 10, but he can get you with like 17 and 15 pretty much any night. Um, their two leading scores are Seth Lundy and Sam Sessions, who are both averaging 15.3 points per game. That's weird. And they're averaging almost the same exact minutes in games too. So, um, they do it a lot differently. Uh, Lundy is a big shooter. He's he's shot thirty eight threes already in six games. You know that's shooting over six threes a game. Um, while Sessoms only shot seventeen, so still a decent amount of threes, but not nearly at the rate that Lundy has shot him. Uh, and then Jalen Pickett is kind of the guy that a lot of people really pointed at. He was a transfer from Siena, 
first team, all MAAC, all three years he was there. Uh, he's an absolute stud of a guard. He's played the most minutes for them so far by far, which is kind of interesting. As a transfer, he's played 36 minutes a game. Um, he's struggling a little bit. He's only shooting 32% from the field, um, and he's shooting 32% exactly from three, so it's kind of kind of a weird in between there, but uh, still a very, very talented talented guard. And uh, the thing that kind of stands out for Lundy is he has 16 turnovers, only six assists, so um, maybe try to get the ball in his hands if you can. Um, they're a about the same free throw shooting team as Ohio State, if it comes down to that. So we'll see. And then Miles Dredd also kind of having a tough start to his season, only averaging six points per game, and he's only shooting 32% from the field. So uh, it's been an interesting start for Penn State, but like like you kind of said and like you're going to touch on, uh, they could be the worst team in basketball, and Ohio State could have their all-legends team, and I think this game could still be close. Yeah, since Chris Holtman has – and honestly, even before Chris Holtman, like the final year or two of Thad Mata um, – I, I'll Penn go all State the way back to Taylor reason. Battle, honestly. All the way back to Taylor like, Battle is when they especially going, Especially going to Penn State, they've always struggled a little bit playing at Penn State, which is odd because like the Bryce Jordan Center, it always looks very empty. It looks like a pretty – I don't think we have any Penn State fans that listen, so it doesn't even matter if I say this. It looks like a pretty crappy arena. Um, like It's always pretty empty. It doesn't look like there's any kind of like home cooking going on, no kind of home home court advantage, but – Ohio State's always struggled against Penn State the past six, seven years. Um, they had the year with Tony Carr where I believe they got swept. They lost home, they lost away, and they lost in the Big Ten tournament to Penn State. Like They just always struggle with Penn State for some reason. And this Penn State team in particular isn't going to be as bad as we thought they would be. Because like you were saying, they brought back a good chunk of that core. Like Seth Lundy's a good player. John Hare is a very good player. Miles Dredd is struggling, but he's a good player. Um, Sam Sessom's return as well. He was a transfer, I believe, from Binghamton or Binghamton, however you pronounce it. I think it's Binghamton. Um, he's like a bowling ball. He's built a lot like Trevor Keels is. So they've got some guys, but they're also pretty shallow. They go six deep that play 20 minutes, and then they've got Jelani White, who's a transfer. I believe he plays 14, and after that, like they really don't go more than seven deep. So this is a team that Ohio State should beat. But it's also a team that, like, at the end of the season, if they come in, like, I don't know, ninth in the Big Ten, like, that shouldn't shock anybody. Because, like, they're not like, they're not a good team, but they're not terrible either. And playing on the road definitely, definitely cannot just, like, check it as a W. Yeah, the funny – my uh, best friend growing up went to Penn State, and he said the Bryce Jordan Center. Um, if you ever wanted to just go to something and, you know, where there wasn't a crowd or anything, you'd go to a basketball game. Uh, but you can get tickets to wrestling. Like wrestling is what they, like that will sell out, and basketball won't. So they just do not. Uh, th- that's not an atmosphere you have to truly worry about, which is interesting. Like you said, that they struggle so much there. I'm gonna give a weird kind of tidbit here. Um, we've been doing this, you know, all kind of week with the Duke game and the Michigan loss and all those connections. Um, the year they lost three games to Penn State was the year they beat number one Michigan State at home. So, interesting there. Uh, they only lost three Big Ten games, and two of those were regular season to Penn State, and then they played them in the Big Ten tournament and lost by one. Um, they got absolutely destroyed at Penn State. They lost by 23, which is unbelievable. And then they lost the home loss of the Tony, Tony Carr half-court shot after he made the uptime. And the Big Ten and the Big Ten tournament was the last second. It was a, a dunk from 
Josh Reeves, I think. Yep, it was Josh like Reeves. cut, and, and he slammed the dunk home that gave them either a one- or a two-point lead with like one second left. Yeah, I mean, man. Ugh. And the Tony Carr, they were 9-0 in the Big Ten walking into that game. So uh, the first one, the Tony Carr game. So um, I, I think they'll win. I'd probably have them winning by 10 or 15, honestly. I don't think Penn State's a good, that good of a team right now. And I think they're not even like playing up to their potential, which I don't think is that high. So they're in a weird, like, they're even worse than I kind of – they're better than I thought they would be when I saw all the transfers, but they're worse right now. Like, I wouldn't have had them losing by 25 to UMass. I would have, I would have had them beating LSU. I probably would have had them coming in this game 6-0 and because they're 4-2. and two. Uh, The Miami game will tell us a lot, like I said, because they're kind of, like, in that same realm in the ACC as Penn State is in the Big Ten, obviously, because that's how they do those matchups. But um, I, I think Ohio State will win, and then they get um, – you know, they, they don't have – we talked about this. They don't have the hardest start to um, their conference schedule because the only two games they play before they play all conference games, the two December games are Penn State and Wisconsin, both teams that are lower than Ohio State in the Big Ten right now. So. And I think Wisconsin is a home game. So you if you beat Penn State it's on the road, the road and home. It's always one road, one home. With these. So you beat Penn State on the road and you come home, you'll be favored big time against Wisconsin at home. Um, yeah, I mean, those are two games that you, you you should win both, but especially with road games in the Big Ten, just just get it done. Just, just win the game. Say, I'll go as far to say it's not a must-win game by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a bigger <laughs> game than I think people will give it credit for because they have such a tough non-conference schedule. Granted, they just beat Duke, so they're 5-2. and two, That's not bad at all. But they do still have Kentucky to play, and they still have the Big Ten, which is, I mean, losing five or six games in the Big Ten is good. So if they don't want that loss total to get to the double digits, the 10, 11s, um, then they, they, they need to win this game. Especially if you don't want any hang. And you, exactly. You don't want any hangover from beating the number one team and have people being like, oh, you know, were they still thinking about that and, and overlook Penn State? I think when you factor that in and that it's a road game and that they've struggled with Penn State historically, I think that if they just get it done on the road, it doesn't matter if they win by three or if they win by 30. If Ohio State wins this game by three, nobody's going to be looking at them like, oh my goodness, like what happened to Ohio State? They just beat Duke. It's tough to win on the road against pretty much anybody. So if they get it, if they win the game Sunday night, that's all that matters. It's another, get out, it's get, another, get it's the win, pack the bags up, and get back home. 100%. And then they get Towson. Uh, is that, that'll just be a, that'll be a win. Um, I guess I shouldn't say that because they played Niagara to the last two minutes, but they should beat Towson. Then they play Wisconsin, who Wisconsin's kind of a younger team. They still have some identity issues. They should beat Wisconsin, hopefully, at home. And then uh, Kentucky. <laughs> and that's a toss-up. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that when it gets closer because I couldn't tell you right now. Yeah. Um, we are running short on time here. Yeah, Got a couple sure. things that we still want to hit. Do you want to do our our injury list, what's going on with the injured players? Yeah. Um, I mean, Eugene Brown is still kind of – he's going to be game time until he plays. That's just how concussions work. I think he'll probably play. It seemed like maybe he could have gone against Duke, but they were just playing it safe. So I think he'll play against Penn State, but I'm also not a doctor and I'm not anywhere close to the team, so more just guessing. Uh, but he's going to be game time until he plays. Seth Towns, I think they're still hoping sometime this month, but I would just assume at this point conference play, um, especially because the, the Kentucky game is on December 18th, and then from then to January 4th, they only play two games, and it's against two bad teams. So I would just assume at this rate they just let them come back conference play. 
And then suing uh, Chris Holtman, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, he did say – he did sound more confident this time talking about him, right? Because the last time he talked about Justice suing, it did not sound good because um, he's talking about we don't think it's season ending. But it's like, what? Um, but now it seems like they're looking to have him back probably again around conference play, which you know I think is probably when you need him. So it's not a huge deal. Yeah, it sounds like Eugene Brown of the three is going to be the, the one back the soonest. And, yeah, for sure. For um, sure. Just the vibe that I'm just getting is like also like day to day kind of thing. Um, he's been out for it's going to be over two weeks at that point, so I'm guessing he'll probably play against Penn State. And then it sounded like Suing and Towns um, could potentially come back around the same time if Towns is, is Towns has been saying the whole time like hopefully sometime in December. If Justice Suing is a few weeks away, that's clearly going to be sometime in December as well. Um, and these and like they have to be relatively close. Um, kind of a minor detail they were both in the crowd on the court like jumping around and stuff with the crowd and i think yeah. if these guys were like still like very like stiff and sore and couldn't do any physical activity i don't think that you would have had them out in the crowd on the court jumping around with people so clearly these guys are feeling pretty good they're probably both practicing in some capacity um and if they both you know it sounds like they're both going to be returning sometime this month potentially right around the, the same time. Yeah, and when Seth Towns was jumping around on the court, he was doing it directly behind Holtman when they were interviewing him on TV. So Holtman could see him doing it. So like if he was doing something that the coach would feel to be negating progress, I'm sure he would have said something to him, and he didn't. Um, he ended up jumping around with him. So I think that I, – I do think Towns is closer than um, – obviously the big one is suing because suing just kind of provides that Swiss Army knife that we talked about. But Seth Towns, when he comes back, he'll be a veteran – He'll be a leader. He's a guy who can kind of he's a he's a tall, lanky guy who can make shots over top people. You know, if they just get six or seven points a game from him, that would be ginormous. Plus like fifteen minutes a game or something. Um St. John's update. St. John's, I think yeah, they suck. They are bad. Our our St. John's Red Storm are just they they are not good. Last time we recorded uh was last week. They were in the middle of a game against St. Francis Brooklyn which they beat St. Francis by six points. And Something then nice. right after that, they went to overtime against NJIT. Oh, um, legendary Wolverine killer NJIT. They went to overtime with those guys. So St. John's is five and one, but they have a six-point win over St. Francis, a nine-point win over NJIT, a 10-point win over Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, and they lost to the only team with a pulse on their schedule, Indiana. So I think St. John's, uh, St. John's bad team. They saw yeah, we've been trying to just turn this podcast into a St. John's podcast slowly and hope no one notices, but they're too bad to even do that. So we're going to stick with Ohio State for now. We can't talk 43 minutes about St. John's. Exactly. That is all we have for today. We talked about Duke. We previewed Penn State. Um, you know, that's pretty much all we want to do today. That the Ohio State, they're kind of getting to that point in their schedule in the holiday season where a lot of the games get a little more spread out. Um, like I said, from the 18th to January 4th, they only play two games or three games if you count the one on the 18th. So, you know, just make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your music, Apple Music, Spotify, all the other ones that I'm not familiar with. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave us a review. It helps us. Um, tell us which guests you like to have on. We have a Twitter, Bucketheads LGHL. 
you can we're very active on there you can interact with us you can dm us with questions you want us to hit um you know any any guests you want us to have on we've already had some fun guests like joey lane with drive uh, drive the lane podcast uh chris holtman ohio state's head basketball coach we've had on i don't know why i just specified chris holtman's ohio state his basketball coach because if you listen to this and you don't know that you're probably lost um and just you know generally be nice to us because i have a pretty fragile ego and it hurts uh we will and you're release- sick and i'm sick so like make it a little bit better for me please we will continue to release new episodes every thursday throughout the regular season i don't know what happened after march but if we even get to that point that'd be great uh if you want to follow along on twitter like i said we have the Bucketheads lghl po- uh, podcast twitter account myself at justin underscore golba and the website of land grant holy land it's twitter which is at landgrant33. Connor, where are you? can follow me on Twitter at Lamons underscore Connor, L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor. I know that you've been running the Bucketheads Twitter for the most part. I also have access, but um, Justin has been, uh, Justin is definitely more active on, on there than I am. Just not that he's hogging it, but just by choice. I've just been, when I'm at the games, I'm pretty busy. So if you're trying to get a hold of me, uh, yeah, go straight to my account. If just in general for the podcast, go to the podcast account. And if you have um, constructive criticism or mean things to say, go to Justin's personal account. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. You guys have a great weekend and go Bucks.